0: Hello, and welcome to the American Thoracic Society Breathe Easy Nursing Assembly podcast. My name is Nina Bracken from the Nursing Assembly Web Committee. In these podcasts, we interview leading clinicians and researchers and ask them to share their perspectives on topics related to nursing and pulmonary and critical care. Today, I am pleased to be joined by Drs. Prashant, Muthukrishnan, and Tanya Van Vichay, who will lead today's podcast on Ayurveda and respiratory medicine. This is a continuation of our special three-part series focusing on integrative therapies in respiratory disease. This segment will be part one, an introduction to Ayurveda. Be sure to tune in to part two, patient access to Ayurvedic practice in daily life clinics and hospitals as well. I'm so pleased to have you both with us today. Dr. Mutsu, can you introduce us to what Ayurveda is?
1: Yes. Uh, thank you, Naina and Tanya, for inviting me to this podcast with the American Thoracic Society. So at the outset, in Sanskrit language, Ayur means life and Veda means knowledge or science. So Ayurveda means science of life or knowledge of life. The origins of Ayurveda are more than 5,000 to 7,000 years old from the Indian subcontinent. The earliest written documentation of the scientific concepts of Ayurveda include Charaka and Sushuta Samhita to name a few. The oral tradition of Ayurveda until 400 B.C. may have contributed to the potential loss of important wisdom. However, the existing documentation of Ayurveda in the form of biochemical, microbiological, and practice-based clinical experience across
2: generations
1: and populations within the four Vedas itself is vast and barely tapped. Many parallel systems, such as Chinese medicine, Arabic medicine, and other forms of medicine, like Greek medicine, may have been born out of Ayurveda or potentially even coexisted alongside Ayurveda. Such ancient systems have given birth to the modern medicine that we practice today as mainstream. Being identified myself with the help of a NAMA accredited program called Healthcare. Professionals Ayurveda Counselor Certification with Maharishi Ayurveda, MAPI, a collaborative effort by David Lynch Foundation and Maharishi's Transcendental Meditation Program. And NAMA means National Ayurvedic Medical Association. And Maharishi's program actually is very synchronized with Art of Living that is being organized by uh, Panditri Ravi Shankarji. So they actually come from the same lineage ah uh, mahavish and uh, ravi shankar so so that's that's the basic uh, intro to ayurveda
0: great thank you this historical background is so interesting and having a uh, uh, a foundation in the history of the practice i'm i'm sure is incredibly useful for the audience is there an example of a case that you could provide that will help us understand ayurveda from a patient perspective
1: absolutely So let's take the case of this uh, 40-year-old woman with BMI 21 that comes to her medical doctor and complains of fatigue when she goes for running, and she also has maybe some mild hair fall. She has a variable appetite. She has mild graying of hair and mild stress at work due to erratic evening shifts sometimes, and she reports being type A personality and has some sleep issues. She tried eating healthy salads and fruits when possible. And as doctors, it's normal head exam, head and neck, and cardiopulmonary exam. Whereas her blood work comes back normal for CBC, CMP, uh, thyroid profile, hemoglobin A1C, uh, pulmonary function test, uh, EKG, and chest X-ray. The physician recommends her to actually continue her healthy diet and exercise reduce stress, and maybe to reassess in six months with endocrinology consult if needed. Whereas in the next visit, symptoms persist. Normal TSH profile, but then she has an isolated TPO antibody. Thyroid peroxidase antibody is now mildly positive. And PFT now shows a mild reversible obstruction consistent with possible asthma. Now, inhaler regimen was big and endocrinology wanted to monitor her TSH levels every six months due to the risk of Hashimoto thyroiditis that we see with TPO. So such patients will tell us that they don't feel all right, Uh, and please do something more than just reassessing in six months, right? And this is where pulse examination and phenotype assessment in Ayurveda is actually able to capture patterns of symptoms in stage one and two out of the six stages of disease for Ayurveda, much before full-blown clinical biomarker and laboratory evidence of disease manifests. Importantly, the much-needed Vata-Pacifying Lifestyle, I repeat Vata, V-A-T-A, Vata-Pacifying Lifestyle and diet recommendations would be very personalized to her body type assessment or phenotype, or we also call it as humorism, called Vata in her case. And these are available as an online calculator uh, for example, Chopra.com gives some excellent um, calculators. And I would actually uh, encourage you listeners to actually see if you can pause this podcast mm-hmm. right now and actually take the quiz and see what your profile is so that you can continue with the podcast and understand the podcast much better. So her systemic symptoms
2: mm-hmm.
1: are actually glaring at us. And all of them actually stem from an imbalance in a single modality called Pata, V-A-T-A. V-A-T-A. And the answer is not to wait and watch until TSH becomes abnormal and then start thyroid supplements and so on, but instead prescribing a vata-pacifying lifestyle going deep into her personal routines, such as addressing the dry, uncooked salads, her BMI, her type A personality, uh, uh, things like you know behavioral therapy for such personality, shift work, her running regimen, uh, Etc. right? You know, Vata people should actually not run too much because they are already, characteristically, they are full of air and space, which is they have a tendency to be very mobile. So therefore, they should focus more on grounding activities. Uh, for, for instance, um, gentle yoga would be an example. Such phenotype-based healthcare was actually practiced even by Hippocrates in 400 BC, as humorisms called sanguine, choleric, melancholic, and phlegmatic. Similarly, William Sheldon's ectomorph, mesomorph, and endomorph somatotypes in psychology are also parallel concepts to humorisms and Ayurvedic phenotypes, which have been practiced uh, and is being practiced you know, world over. So there is no reason for us physicians not to use this method in our clinics in 2020. Each of the three phenotypic machines called Vata, Pitta, and Kappa in our body gives rise to a specific list of diseases like asthma, GERD, ILD, allergic rhinitis, sarcoidosis, and and so on. And therapy is actually aimed at restoring the specific machine's excess or deficiency. Certainly, you know, worth learning about for our own health as physicians and healthcare providers. So when a patient presents with a symptom localizing to the lungs, such as cough, mucus, shortness of breath, the Ayurvedic practitioner or counselor like me inquires into many other symptoms manifesting in other organs like we do, like review of systems, and we actually formulate a whole body systemic diagnosis of the person, not just the disease, or not just split these symptoms into different organs and treat them individually, right? This this is this is called whole systems management. And clinical trials in Ayurveda and TCM traditional Chinese medicine, are commonly performed this way rather than a randomized controlled trial of a single therapy or a drug. It's, in fact, very hard for a drug to work if the lifestyle is not fixed and vice versa. You go back home as a patient with a name for your body constitution type, which is called dosha, D-O-S-H-A, or prakriti, a predominant type of imbalance in your body constitution, which is vikriti, and a type of balancing or pacifying food plus daily routines plus spices or things that you can do in your kitchen, and professional recommendations. And you heard me right there. An integrative Ayurvedic counselor can make your workplace professional habits and actions or responsibilities synchronized with your body constitution so that you can create health in you and fix your disease or even prevent your disease now
0: does it make sense
1: is, is, am i am i going very fast
0: i think this is great um this is actually my first introduction to ayurvedic medicine just like our our, our listeners so i'm I, i'm you're going at a perfect speed for me
1: awesome so now the core of health we know rests in the gut according to ayurveda and modern microbiome research, and all of the ancient medicinal systems. Disease arises from imbalance in the five physiological forces of air, space, fire, water, and earth resting in the gut and which actually makes every cell of our body. Uh, And these uh, uh, imbalances spread over six stages of disease to other tissues and organs to manifest with time as chronic disease uh, specific to organ systems sometimes are uh, systemic, like hypertension, diabetes, cancer, endometriosis, um, uh, bipolar disease, autoimmune disease, etc. So the most sensitive nervous system actually rests in the gut-entering nervous system. And that's why we say, ooh, I have a gut feeling before, you know, even your brain thinks about it. So the gut is super important, uh, and we need to pay attention to it. So, the human microbiome responds and oscillates with our daily habits and with any disruptions to our schedule. Uh, Especially passionate people are very likely to disrespect schedules because their passions and their desires usually drive what they do, not duties, right? The accumulation of such disrespect to the biological clock that runs in our body, such as delayed waking, or delayed lunch or bedtime due to working hours or deadlines, heavy dinner, um, excess alcohol, or burning the midnight oil, as they say, leads to something called dysbiosis, which is nothing but a clash between daylight and the nocturnal colonies of microbiomes. This microbiome, um, the microbiological species that belong to the daylight, when it's time for them to leave, they and, and it's time for the nocturnal guys to come in. Um, and if you are not respecting that change of the diurnal um cycle, and if you continue to stay awake or do things that you are not supposed to do during the night time, then that's when the, the micro the microbial species they literally have a clash between them, leading to symptoms and disease. So the vata, pitta, and kapha machinery. Actually, execute their effects through these microbes that actually secrete hormones and transmitters, neurotransmitters like serotonin, dopamine, and other catecholamines, leading to disease states like hypertension, obesity, insomnia, sleep apnea, etc. You know, we used to th- we used to think you know the serotonin, dopamine, all these hormones actually are in the brain. But they actually affect, they they act as effectors in the brain, but their source actually comes from the microbiome that secretes these things from the gut. And they, they go up the nervous system and get, uh, get to perform their actions in the brain, leading to pleasure versus um, ability to sleep, etc. Or even a state of happiness. So this concept of dysregulated lifestyle, also called as stress, explains the reason behind chronic disease that actually leads to a dysregulated and exaggerated immune response that we see in hypertensive and metabolic syndrome patients that are even potentially getting COVID-19-related morbidity and flu And For example, even ARDS is nothing but an exaggerated response, an inflammatory response to a virus or another antigen, and the the crux of that dysregulated, exaggerated response actually comes from the microbiome that is dysregulated because of years of disrespect. And that is why a pill or even a herb like a turmeric um, cannot give you immunity overnight or during you know during the COVID season. It, it has to take time and it takes discipline to actually execute an immunity. It's almost like the difference between scoring 100 marks on your test because you cram all the data overnight as against the intelligence that you have because you've practiced thinking uh, for years. Right, so since dysregulated lifestyle is the cause for disease, or at least partly, right, and therefore proper lifestyle is the therapy, so let's learn the details of the biological clock that Ayurveda has described for over 7,000 years. Are you ready? Ready. Awesome. Each cell and atom in our human body and the universe around us runs on a software called biological intelligence or clock or consciousness. And this is not the consciousness that I'm talking about when you close your eyes and meditate and then you see the state of awareness. This consciousness actually lives and runs every single cell. It's literally like a computer software. So the software energy called the biological clock or intelligence manifests actually as matter in the form of air, space, water, fire, and earth. Just like you have software and you are able to use the software on a computer and you are able to print a paper. Or you, you, now you have 3D printers that make medical equipments like that. These The software energy manifests as matter. And humans, we actually are... Now, naturally inclined towards deviating from maintaining discipline and balance of these five forces in our body air water space fire and earth and this is what gives rise to disease over time so the 24 hours of the biological clock is divided into vata pitta and kapha segments of the day and our actions also have to accordingly align example Kapha reducing activities are supposed to be done during Kapha hours of the day because already there is a lot of Kapha in you, in the environment, and in the season of the year and the time of the day. Therefore, you don't need to do more things that actually aggravate Kapha. So you need to do things that are opposite to Kapha, which is Vata and Pitta activities. And for that, you can Google search Vata, Pitta, Kapha, and there is a host of resources. Ayurveda supports this intelligence software as it attempts to bring back the balance of the forces. When combined with modern medicine's interventions that primarily focus on reducing symptoms and postponing end-organ damage, for instance, medications like lisinopril, they are amazing drugs because we are able to postpone end-organ damage from hypertension and diabetes, etc. Whereas when in modern medicine with Ayurveda, then Ayurveda is able to bring forth a stronger control of both root cause as well as symptoms. So these two systems have to go hand in hand, not separately, because we need modern medicine and we need a little bit push with Ayurveda. So Ayurveda actually first encourages supplements from nature rather than industrially manufactured or processed supplements. However, we do need the support of pharmaceutical you know, industries uh, because they are amazing machines that run randomized control trials, and soon Ayurveda is likely to be also entering randomized control trials with uh, pharmaceutical and herb- herbal companies. Forms like American College of Lifestyle Medicine and Institute of Functional Medicine are striving to achieve such package for our patients and the public in the form of integrated medicine centers in places like UCSF and so on. Uh, pioneers like David Rakel, Dr. David Rakel of New Mexico, are building such strong curriculums for medical schools with courses in integrative Ayurveda. In this podcast, actually, I am trying to plant the seeds of Ayurveda concepts for listeners, physicians, and even researchers who have not been uh, taught during medical school or during their uh, other parts of their career about the link between phenotypes of food, personalities, digestion, habits, and respiratory disease. Nutrition in Ayurveda is not based on calories, carbohydrates, fast proteins. No. It is based on the nature and the six tastes that a food can provide and the synchrony with our body's phenotype. These topics are part of core science in traditional middle and high school systems in India and Eastern world, hopefully soon in the Americas. And these concepts have been very well validated by current genomic and biochemical research studies in the U.S. and world over, and you can see it on and I'm actually currently working on restudying some asthma clinical trials where I redefine population subsets uh, based on vata the phenotypes instead of just having them as all comers. Maybe there is a subset of, you know, the cohort that's actually responding to the drug versus not. And there's a separate uh, field called pharmacogenomics where they're trying to, uh, uh, they're finding, um, it's called Ayurgenomics. Uh, and they are trying to see if these phenotypes can can be different between uh, patient populations that metabolize medications uh, in the cytochrome oxidative system. So, so how does that sound?
0: I think it's so interesting. You're right, you're sharing a huge amount of very important information. I think you've referenced some important research that's going on, so I think something to remember for our listeners is that uh, we will have some links uh, provided by Dr. Muthu um, for trusted sources of information and references from today's podcast in, um, in the links uh, underneath the audio file when you're listening to this. So you can reference some, um, some links that, uh, that he feels is a, are our trusted sources. Obviously, there's a huge amount of information on the on the web today, and so to find those uh, trusted sources is obviously a little piece of gold. And and I, I think the other thing that you might agree with, Dr. Muth is, it's it's probably not as important for the listeners uh, to know the terms um, coming away from today's podcast, but the concepts that you're talking about.
1: Absolutely, I agree.
0: So. Does Ayurveda have branches or specializations that you could speak towards?
1: Yes, indeed. Um, Ayurveda and other forms of ancient medicine also, they actually laid the foundation for specialization that we see today. The eight branches of Ayurveda include internal medicine, surgery, ENT, medicine, um, OBGYN, pediatric psychology, toxicology, geriatrics, and sexual health. There are general practitioners as well as specialists. The majority of impact, however, comes from the most basic aspects of Ayurveda that general practitioners can share. And only when the patient assimilates the knowledge gained and executes it in reality daily, you can find the benefit of Ayurveda. And Ayurveda is a way of life. It's it's a lifestyle. It's, it was actually not meant to be a form of um, medicine or healthcare system. It was a way of life. And and in fact, it's it's an art that actually balances duties towards the biological clock with the desires in professional and social life that we have. Simple. Yes. And here, I would actually like to refer the public to my my YouTube and SoundCloud page and my webpage, Dr. Muktu Integrative, for a host of resources and my Google Scholar p-
0: profile for my publication. Great, thank you. And could you explain the background of Ayurvedic phenotypes, uh, doshas, and nutritional components that you touched on earlier?
1: Absolutely. You know, very
0: similar to um,
1: uh, asthma phenotypes that we are trying to uh, uh, understand. Uh, for example, I've worked with mentors, great mentors like Dr. Sally Benzel of UPMC, who's part of the severe asthma project and i am i'm so excited that i am part of the same phenotype uh, field that i am trying to bring from the rest of the world into the americas so you know the most important aspects of ayurveda that allopathic physicians and public will benefit from learning are threefold number one is energy or prana number two is phenotype of your body and mind constitution which is called dosha and the number third is ojas or, uh, or vitality and ama or toxins. So let's go about uh, talk about uh, energy first. To uh, understand energy, uh, you may have heard about the uh, uh, about the term qi, qi in Chinese medicine. It's very similar to the word prana in Ayurveda. P r a n a. As echoed by Einstein's theory of E equals M C square. This energy called prana comes from the universe around us, the sun, the moon, every single person walking around you, the trees, the plants, and so on. And we, humans, are actually, in fact, moving bodies of energy rather than matter, and we are a continuum with the environment. So there is constant exchange of energy between human matter and environment, and therefore, the importance of paying attention to the particular hour of the clock, the particular season of the year, when and where you eat or when and where you do a certain activity is very important. Um, the energy comes through all the five senses that we use to interact with the environment. What we see, what we feel, what, what we are addicted to and so on. For instance, the prana energy of the fresh versus old food we may eat for example, the hot or cold air that we are always working in. For example, uh, in restaurants where the cooks or the chefs work in such warm or hot, you know, uh, kitchens, they are very important to look into when somebody comes in uh, with symptoms of COPD or asthma or inflammatory disease, and their occupation is actually a chef. It's important that they are trying to get uh, able to get some time away from the kitchen, or at least use certain things that are cooling for the body, because they are continuously in an environment which is very hot, right? Similarly, the smoke that we may breathe, or the horror scene, uh, or adventurous scenes that we watch on TV, those are very important energies that we process. And these get processed by the human physiology, ultimately to produce an product of meta- metabolism. And The type of energy that we choose to get exposed to is very critical for our VPK Vata, Pitta, Kapha, because they need to sink. For example, uh, Vata energy mixing with a Vata person in a Vata time of the day is is not the way to practice. Because there will be excess of Vata leading to diseases that manifest out of Vata uh, exaggeration. So this concept is actually very synchronous with positive energy therapies, for example, Reiki and acupuncture, that Tanya can actually relate. Uh, Tanya, can you add a, a few uh, thoughts?
2: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the concept of energy flow is pretty universal across many cultures, you know, whether it's in the form of healing touch um, among healthcare professionals, such as in nursing or as you mentioned before, prana among yoga practitioners, or reiki in the Japanese tradition. Um, And I want to add a little bit more about the concept of yin and yang in the traditional Chinese medicine practice, um, which alluded to the balance of the energy. So all these terms refer to the energy balance within the physical body as well as within the universe, as you have previously mentioned. So... um, Another concept that people may be able to relate to is the concept of feng shui in Chinese practice which refers to the art of object placement within the physical space whether it's in your home, your office, or in your room where you spend most of your time for the purpose of facilitating the positive energy flow. So we have all these different terminologies, but the concept is universal um, as far as energy or energy flow. And it's not unique to Ayurveda, as you have mentioned, um, just like languages. You know, we have different terminologies describing the same phenomenon. So I, I totally agree with you on that.
1: Awesome. Yeah. And that actually brings us to the second concept, as I was mentioning, the physiology or dosha. So these are also called as humorisms, or humors in Greek medicine. And the three doshas actually come out of the five forces I mentioned, which is air, space, fire, earth, and water. And different combinations of these uh, gives rise to the three phenotypes. Number one, air and space together function from the colon, okay? That's the home of air and space. And these function as vata, which is, and which usually uh, corresponds to the functions of the vata as flowing or moving in our organ systems, such as peristalsis, cardiac rhythm, uh, nerve action potential, menstrual flow. So anything that moves or, you know, a tendency to move, um, certain personalities cannot sit in one place, right? So those attributes actually come from this particular phenotype or machinery that's within you called vata okay and that actually comes from air and space how much of air do you have how much of space do you have fire and water is next that manifests as something called pitta or p-i-t-t-a and the home of pitta is small in helping with digestion or burning gastric juices uh, the acid that is in the stomach, the enzymes that uh, the pancreas secretes, uh, the neurotransmitters, and anything that relates to metabolizing or burning—even burning parts—the burning very fact that you are able to burn and digest parts is uh, an aspect of pitta. Um, and, uh, and blood uh, is very much uh, a function of pitta in our organs. Uh, and uh, finally, the third uh phenotype is called as kapha, K-A-P-H-A, which is coming from water and earth. Uh, and that, the home of kapha, is the stomach and the chest. Uh, lubrication and resting are attributes of katha. Um So, uh, so kapha people are generally, if they are predominantly kapha, if they have a lot of earth and water in them, then they tend to be... Uh, If everything is in balance, they tend to be nicely lubricated. They tend to be oily. And uh, they love sitting and just taking it easy and stable like that. In short, vata pitta kapha, I have actually coined a term or or a phrase which is very synchronous with it. Um, And and I call it as move, digest and rest. V-P-K. Move, digest, and rest. So based on the ancestral blueprint, genetic makeup, and epigenetic influences of the environment, each human being has a unique combo or proportion of these three endotypes called vata, pitta, and kapha that form the body constitution. If there is one takeaway message from today's podcast, it would be for each one of us to know what our VPK dosha profile is, and the rest will follow. The reason is because knowledge underlies all preventative, balancing, helpful activities that we can do for ourselves. And all diagnostic therapeutic measures for disease that we you know provide to patients stem from this basic knowledge. So some examples of famous personalities that personify the VPK phenotypes or the sanguine, choleric, melancholic, and phlegmatic phenotypes would be for example audrey hepburn and michael jackson for vata air and space and i actually happen to be predominantly vata so i'm very creative lean prominent bones like audrey hepburn enthusiastic and very mobile you know trying to you know do more than one thing very uh, innovative in, in a sense and this is the nature of air and space always mobile and so on and so, for instance, if I tend to go more towards such elements in the nature or around me, for example, adventurous movies or things that are super exciting, then that actually tends to put my elements out of balance, exaggeration over time. And therefore, it doesn't mean that I don't watch adventurous and, and you know, horror movies, but it's just that balancing out such exposures along with exposures that are calming, are actually much more useful in keeping our elements in balance. However, when vata is out of balance, that's when diseases such as dry skin, thin hair, low BMI, inability to gain weight, tension headaches, seizures, IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, endometriosis, arrhythmias, hypertension, and colon issues such as Audrey Hepburn herself actually had colon cancer Um, and we know Vata, the home of Vata is the colon. So these are likely in such phenotypes of uh, people. So similarly, Steve Jobs is classic for Pitta phenotype and when out of balance, you see qualities like short temper, acne, baldness, and gray hair, GERD, rheumatoid arthritis, etc. Similarly, uh, opera singer Luciano Pavaretti and TV producer Ms. Opera Winfrey, they're classic examples of Kaffa phenotypes. And Kaffa individuals are usually heavy-built. Uh, they have a big body, not necessarily fat, though, right? If you have everything in balance, you don't need to be fat. And there is a difference between being fat versus being big, right? And uh, so, yeah, so Kaffa individuals are usually heavy-built, um, generous, super down-to-earth, They're prone for congestion, sinus issues, allergies, asthma, um, uh, dampened metabolism, because there's too much water, and therefore the fire is not able to burn the food, right? So therefore, you need to go away from things like water. So so Kapha individuals cannot spend more time in the swimming pool all day uh, and be more in water, right? They need to be more uh, air, fire, and so on. Uh, so uh, so as you improve your metabolism, the fire part of you uh, and improve the vata part of you, which is moving uh, and so on, then you will improve your balance. And hyperligrenia, coronary disease, they're all actually packages. You know, asthma, uh, coronary disease, you see all of them in packages. And this is why. It's because it's all kapha-driven. So rather than fixing coronary artery disease separately, asthma separately, Alongside, if you adjust and address the kapha, then you will be able to hit many things in one stone. Uh, so comorbid diseases like asthma, seizures, headache, uh, atrial fibrillation, endometriosis, coronary artery disease, they all come from you know common pathways. And you know Ayurveda, that's why it aims to control or eradicate disease centrally by fixing the VPK profile. And you'll be amazed at how well you can actually understand and communicate with your own colleagues or even your spouse and or a new person that you're trying to date, when you identify their VPK profile, you can actually guess what kind of responses you're going to get when you interact with them. Similarly, VPK-driven cohort selection of major genome-wide association studies have been actually published. So finally, third, is which is an AMA, and then I will um, finish the podcast with this. The complete combustion or digestion of energy by an individual produces a liquid molecule, a substance called oges, that promotes vitality, health, or reverse aging. People have been actually trying to find out what this ogis is actually biochemically. They've been wondering if it's actually equivalent to ATP or is it acetyl coenzyme A or is it melatonin? Many candidate molecules are being studied. like. So that's OGIS, which is positive. You know, when you metabolize everything, when your doshas, when your phenotype is good, everything is running well, then you make vitality. Whereas the opposite of OGIS is called um, AMA, A-M-A. That comes from incomplete digestion or ineffective machinery. Uh, And that can happen from the derangement of either of the three machines. Uh, And so when you incompletely Metabolize any energy, be it mental trauma or when you metabolize food, uh, you know, um, partially, uh, liquids, antigens in the air, leads, this leads to production of substance called AMA or toxic waste that actually accumulates in our body uh, and actually gets deposited in various tissues. This leads to aging symptoms and chronic disease, right? And so, AMA toxin actually deposits in. Adipose tissue leading to obesity, arterial walls leading to atherosclerosis, lymphatic channels uh, leading to, you know, many conditions, um, including lymph node enlargement, uh, etc. You uh, atherosclerosis, autoimmunity, and cancer, obesity—they're all end-stage diseases that arise from ama um, or toxin accumulation. So when you have uh, either vata or pitta or kapha that is deranged, then you have some symptoms and some chronic disease. Whereas when you let all of these things go haywire for years together and don't fix the lifestyle, but just have only pharmaceutical intervention, then they progress to excessive accumulation of toxins because of the disorders, thereby leading to end stage diseases such as cancer and autoimmunity. So that's that. And, um, so, and this is where, um, you know, each phenotype of individuals will have to choose the appropriate phenotype of energy that they choose to manufacture vitality rather than toxins. For example, consuming hot water rather than cold water is a simple thing that we can do. And you may, uh, you may have noticed, you know, Chinese, uh, they always have hot soups and they have food rather than a cold soda um, uh, that is offered to you in restaurants automatically. Um, so this is where we go wrong as humans due to lack of knowledge and and, and that's where I'm trying to come in here so for the same disease such as asthma, COPD in two individuals therapy will be different for the one with kapha phenotype as against pitta phenotype in general kapha individuals need more vata and pitta food and activities in in other words a kapha reducing lifestyle vata individuals need more pitta and kapha to keep the system in balance, and so on. And, you know, the rule of balancing the opposites, which is yin and yang, operates very well in Ayurveda, very similar to Chinese medicine, as uh, Tanya can probably relate to. Right?
2: Right, absolutely, yeah. Now, I, I can see now that the concept of vata, pitta, and kapha is similar to some aspects of traditional Chinese medicine practice as well. So the main idea of maintaining balance within the system um, through behavioral changes and nutritional supplement use are very important in the components of traditional Chinese medicine. So an example, as you had already mentioned, is that uh, one one thing is that the body system can be diagnosed as being hot or cold, and as such, certain foods should be consumed according to the status of your body condition. So. If your body is primarily diagnosed as being hot or PETA, then more cooling nature of food or supplement should be consumed and vice versa. So, you know, I can see that the practice requires a more in-depth analysis of the system rather than simply fixing what the primary issue or problem patient may come in with. Um, because of Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine, focus on the holistic, comprehensive system assessment. The practice may seem very foreign to practitioners of Western medicine, where the focus is more on addressing the symptom or problem one at a time. So this is a little bit of a um, framing, the mind frame shift in how we approach um, treatment of patients with pulmonary condition.
0: Thank you for
2: explaining it.
0: Thank you both. Uh, this is a huge amount of information. I'm so glad that we split this into two segments of um, of this third part, uh, Ayurveda medicine and respiratory disease. And I, I'm so looking forward to part two that will be um, hopefully posted soon. So this concludes our podcast. Thank you to both Dr. Muta and Von Vichet for being with us today.
1: Thank you. Thank you thank so you. much. Indeed, thank you uh, very much. Uh, A great opportunity and I'm looking forward to the next podcast.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. So you have just heard an introduction to Ayurveda and respiratory disease. This is the first segment of part three in our three-part series on integrative therapies and respiratory disease. Uh, As I mentioned, references referred to in this podcast can be found on the ATAS podcast page. If there are any questions or comments related to this podcast, or you would like to make suggestions for future topics, please contact the Nursing Assembly at nursing at thoracic.org. This is Nina Bracken and our integrative therapies experts signing off.